1971, Melissa Highsmith was kidnapped by her babysitter. This past fall, a woman named Melina Walden was contacted by three different people claiming to be her sisters and her fathers uh, through Facebook. And so automatically she thought, man, this is just a scam, right? But it wasn't until she confronted the woman that she believed to be her mother and she confirmed that she was not her mother. For 51 years, the Highsmith family and police had searched for their missing daughter, Melissa, without success. And after decades of fruitless investigations and false leads and disappointments, finally on November 6th of this last year of 2022, the family was notified that they had a connection, a DNA match to Mr. Highsmith, that he had a grandchild that he knew nothing about. And this grandchild happened to be one of the children of Miss Walden. The match was based on some samples that were submitted to genetic testing. And Miss Walden, like we said, confronted the woman that she believed to be her mother, and she confirmed that she was not her mother. And unbeknownst to her, unbeknownst to uh, 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 Melina, she, she had been searched for for 51 years. For 51 years, her family, the Highsmith family, had searched for their missing daughter. Her family had spent years searching for her. And then finally, this past fall, this past November, they were able to celebrate as they were reunited. Well, friends, today we're going to see that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Even when we don't know that we're lost, he came to seek and to save us. He came to seek and to save you and me and our coworkers and our neighbors and our family and our friends and more than just searching for us, Jesus has sacrificed himself to die for our sins, to die for your sins and mine, so that we could be reconciled to God. And he hasn't given up on us. And in fact, he not only uh, searches for us, he not only has sacrificed for us, but then he also invites us to join the search for others that are lost. Last week, we saw four different people came face to face with who Jesus is and they were, came face to face with the, the cost of following him. And they had a decision to make whether they would follow Jesus or not. And we said that we too must count the cost and choose and decide whether or not we are going to follow Jesus. Well, today we're going to see that Jesus came to call and to save sinners like you and me, to follow him and to be saved. And if we choose to follow him, then Jesus will also give us a new job to help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. We have been in the middle of our series going through the gospel of Matthew, and Matthew has been teaching us, and or Jesus has been teaching us and showing us how to live in the kingdom of heaven, how to live under God's authority, how to live as salt and light. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 9, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. We would love to give you a copy of God's word for you to take home as a gift from us. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And it's the first of four books that we call the Gospels. And that word gospel means good news because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the good news about Jesus. So as you're turning there to Matthew chapter 9, I just kind of want to remind you where we left off, where Jesus and his disciples were. Last week we saw them get into a boat. They headed across the lake. Jesus took a nap. Storm came up. Jesus calmed the storm with his words. They get to the other side. There's a demon-possessed man. 
Jesus cast out the demons. They go into a herd of pigs. They run off into the lake and drown. The whole city comes out and pushes Jesus away, right? He says, hey, you got to leave this place. We don't want none of that. <laughs> and that's where we pick up with Jesus at this morning in Matthew chapter 9 in verse 1. Read along with me. It says, Jesus stepped into the boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man laying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this point, the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. So they finally make their next stop. And as they're there, uh, some people brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. Now, Mark and Luke in their Gospels actually give us some more details about these events. Apparently, Jesus was teaching in somebody's home, and most likely they had a, a courtyard there, and probably Jesus was sitting in the entryway of this home. And as he's teaching, the crowds were filling up the courtyard. In fact, they were overflowing out to the streets. And, and these four friends had heard that Jesus had come to town, and they also had heard that Jesus was healing people. And so they said, hey, we need to take our friend. He's paralyzed. Maybe Jesus can heal him. And so they load up their friend. Probably They probably had taken their friend every single day. And these four guys had probably carried their friend uh, to the temple courtyards or the synagogue courtyards for, for him to beg for money is the only way to get money. But these four friends cared enough about him to every single day load him up. And who knows, maybe they were just tired of carrying him and said, hey, Jesus is here, let's go see if he can heal him so we ain't got to carry him no more. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, they, they cared enough about their friend, though, to carry him to Jesus. So they get to the house, and they couldn't even push their way through the crowd, but they didn't let that stop them. So they, they climbed up on the roof of the house, and they began to dig a hole in the roof, and they lowered their paralyzed friend down so that he could get to Jesus. They were going to do whatever they could to get their friend to Jesus. But Jesus looks at them and he sees their faith, not the paralyzed man's faith, but their friend's faith. And he looks at the paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, imagine for yourself for a moment that you are one of these friends. Hey, Jesus, we appreciate you forgiving his sins, but we really were hoping you would heal him, <laughs> right? Uh, maybe that's what they were thinking, right? But Jesus says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Now, at the same time, there were teachers of the law, Pharisees that were in the crowd, and they started talking to themselves, and they were thinking, man, this guy is blaspheming, right? But Jesus knows their hearts, and he says, yes, I am forgiving sins. I want to show you this. Because they knew that only God can forgive sins, and Jesus was acting like God. Now, the teachers of the law, their theology was correct. Only God can forgive sins. And if Jesus wasn't God, then their judgment would be correct. Jesus would be blaspheming against God. Mark Moore says this about blasphemy. He says, blasphemy is essentially insulting God. And it can be done in one of three ways. We can insult God by simply insulting him. 
Secondly, by refusing to give him his due praise. And then third, by elevating ourselves to the level of God, and in result, we are bringing God down to our level. And it's this third form of blasphemy that the teachers of the law were concerned about with Jesus. In fact, blasphemy was punishable in Jewish culture by death. And that's why they were so aggressive towards Jesus. And in fact, blasphemy will be what the Jewish religious leaders will charge Jesus with. Now, the Romans who actually put him to death, they, they could care less about that. But ultimately, that's what they would charge Jesus with, that he was, he was blaspheming the name of God, claiming to be equal with God. And if Jesus wasn't equal with God, then he would be blaspheming. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. He says, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us, and he didn't intend to. Friends, Jesus is God. He is the Messiah, and he shows it here in Matthew chapter 9. First, he, he knows the thoughts of these teachers of the law, and he answers their thoughts, right? That's something only God can do. He, he knows their thoughts and their hearts. Jesus replies to their thoughts. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to get up and walk? Well, Jesus, actually, both of them are pretty easy to say. I mean, I can say that all day long but both of those are impossible for a mere man to do. But Jesus wasn't just acting like God. He is God, and he shows it. He says, so, so that you know that I am God, Jesus says, and have the authority to forgive sins, Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and says, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Right, Because any of us can say that. I, I can say that. Hey, get up. You've been paralyzed. Get up and walk. Right, but, but Jesus says, get up. And if this man doesn't get up, then it will show that he didn't have authority to heal his disease or to forgive sins. But Jesus says, get up. And this man who was formerly paralyzed gets up, takes his mat, and walks out of the house. These friends had trouble getting their friend to Jesus, but I'm sure now that you could hear a pin drop in the room, and I'm sure that the crowd split like the Red Sea as this formerly paralyzed man who had just been lowered down from the roof takes his mat and he walks out of the house. The crowds are stunned, and the teachers of the law are speechless. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh, and he's showing it here. Forgiveness of sins and healing disease. This, this though, this wasn't what the Jewish people were expecting out of the Messiah. This isn't what they thought the Messiah was going to do. The Jews of Jesus' day thought that the Messiah would come in to Jerusalem riding on a white horse, and overthrow their occupying nation of Rome and set them free. They thought that the Messiah would come and would elevate the religious leaders who were already busy elevating themselves in their culture. 
But Jesus didn't come in riding on a white horse. He came riding on a donkey as a humble servant. Jesus was doing and he was bringing something new. He was bringing something different, something new, and something unexpected from what the people thought. Jesus came and he hung out with sinners because sinners is who he was calling to follow him. And sinners was who Jesus came to seek and to save. Jesus didn't come to conquer, he came to serve. But the irony of grace and the cross is this, that through Jesus' humble service and sacrifice, he ultimately does conquer. Not Rome, but he conquers sin and death. Jesus was doing something new. He was doing something different. And it shows through the people that he called to follow him. Look at the next verse in verse 19. It says, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told Matthew. He told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. The NCAA men's basketball tournament will come to an end tomorrow. San Diego State and UConn will play in the final game. The winner of tomorrow's night, tomorrow's night game will be, will be crowned the, uh, the champion, the national champion for the, the whole next year. But you know, of those two teams that will play tomorrow night in the game, only a small percentage of them will go on to play at the next level, to play in the NBA. Here are the stats for that. Only three out of every 10,000 high school students, three out of every 10,000 high school students who play basketball will end up playing in the NBA. Out of the 1,200 Division I men's basketball players, only 50 a year are drafted into the NBA. And just because somebody's drafted doesn't guarantee that they're going to play a minute at all in the NBA at the next level. Only the best of the best will make it. Friends, if Jesus is a talent scout, He would lose his job on the talent that he calls to follow him. If Jesus is is filling his team with a roster, he isn't scouting out the big dance tomorrow night. He's he's scouting out at the 15 street courts. And he's not even picking the guys that are playing. He's picking the guys who are standing on the sidelines who didn't get picked for the pickup game. Guys like you and me. I heard Eric Mason say this recently, that Jesus picks us not because of what we can do for him, but because of what he can do through us. That's powerful. Jesus picks us not because of what we can do for him, but, what, but because of what he can do through us. Jesus invites Matthew to come and follow him. Now, I know most of us don't have any love lost for tax collectors, Right? But look, in Jesus' day, a tax collector was considered a traitor. They were Israelites who were collecting taxes from their fellow Israelites for 
a occupying country of Rome. They were hated by their fellow Israelites. They were considered traitors. And Jesus invites this guy who's seen as a traitor, Matthew, to come and follow him. And what does Matthew do? He leaves everything. He gets up and he goes. And he follows Jesus. Jesus came to call sinners like Matthew. Jesus came to call sinners like you because he came and called sinners like me. Jesus came to seek and to save lost sinners like us. Jesus understood that it wasn't the healthy who needed a doctor, but the sick. He understood it wasn't the righteous who needed saving, but sinners. Jesus was doing something new, and it showed through whom he invited to follow him. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And Jesus came to call and to serve sick sinners like you and me. I love how Paul puts this in Romans chapter 5. In verse 8, he says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, Jesus is God in flesh. And he died for you and for me. And Jesus shows us God's love. He demonstrates God's love for us in the fact that he died for our sins to forgive us and to save us. Not because we deserve it, but despite the fact that we deserve death. Because we are ungodly, powerless sinners, Christ demonstrates God's love for us and still dying for us, even though we don't deserve it. Even though we don't deserve it, he humbly served us. And friends, Jesus is calling you to come today and accept his free gift of grace, repenting of your sins and meeting him in baptism. Chris and Rose are going to do just that later on today after worship down at the camp. And friends, maybe you're here today and maybe today you need to come and repent of your sins and meet Jesus in baptism. Like Matthew, maybe you need to come and and leave everything and start following Jesus today. And I'm going to be out in the lobby a little bit later, and if you're ready to make that decision or ready to to start following Jesus and be baptized, I'd love to talk with you today or call or text me anytime. Now, for those of us who already have been made new in Jesus For those of us that already have repented and and met him in baptism, Jesus gives us new life. He gives us a new identity. But with this new life also comes, at the very same time, a new responsibility, a new job, a new ministry. We get to partner with God. Jesus invites us to be saved, and we join his team. And as part of his team, we get to invite other sinners just like us to come and follow Jesus too. We get to call other people just like us to follow Jesus as we have. I love how Paul describes this this responsibility in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. He says this. He talks about this new life that Jesus brings us and this new responsibility. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Right. So that's, that's this new life that we're talking about right? We, we are new, the old is gone, and all of this is through Jesus and the sacrifice that he's made for us. But along with being made new, we also have been given a new ministry and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he tells us what that is, that God was reconciling the world to himself 
in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to this message. So we have ministry and message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I know there's a lot there. So let's take a minute and break it down and unpack this. So Jesus makes us new right? He has reconciled us to God, not because we deserve it, but because of his great love. We saw that in Romans, right? He reconciles us to God. We have been taken from enemies to God, and we have been made friends of God, and we have been made co-workers of God, ambassadors of God. We've been given this ministry and this message of reconciliation. We have been reconciled so that we can help others be reconciled. That's kind of how this process works. We are new, and with this new identity also comes a new responsibility. With this new identity also comes a new job, a new ministry. And guys, look, this ministry, this job, this responsibility isn't just for me as a pastor or a preacher. This ministry, this responsibility is for all of us. If you have been reconciled to Jesus, then you have been given a new responsibility. You have been given a new ministry, a new job to be ambassadors for Jesus. To implore other people who are lost to come and to accept the gift of God's grace. To be reconciled as you have been. Each and every one of us, you, me, him, her, all of us are called to go out and to call other sinners just like us to come and follow Jesus. Now here at Journey Church, we put it this way. We say that our journey is to help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. And by everyone, we mean anyone. Everyone to discover their relationship with Jesus. And we do that by all of us going out and building authentic relationships with the lost in our community and around the world to communicate the gospel of Jesus in ways that are innovative, and relevant that everyone can understand. So friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you have a job, you have a ministry, you have a responsibility to implore other people to be reconciled to God through Jesus, just as you have been. To communicate the good news, the gospel of Jesus to the lost. People like your friends, and your coworkers, and your neighbors, and your classmates, and your family members, and your friends. Because we need to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus, much like the four friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Because the truth is that there are people just like Matthew all around us. 65% of our community. Let me be specific about that. 65% of Washington is lost. That's 65% of your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends and your classmates and your family. 65% of them are lost. It's, it's the people that are around us. And if you have a new life in Jesus, you also have a new responsibility for Jesus to help everyone discover their relationship with him. 
Okay, Thomas, I I understand that we need to be like the four friends and we need to do whatever we can to bring our friends to Jesus, but how? How in the world do we bring our friends to Jesus? Well, I believe Jesus begins to show us here in Matthew 9. Look look there at verse 10 again of Matthew chapter 9. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. What was Jesus doing? He was having dinner, right? Who are the people that we have dinner with? They're our friends, right? The people that we have relationships with. Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. He was building relationships with them. He was spending time with them. Jim Putman puts it like this. He says, here's the point. The people that we know and love who do not know Jesus are lost for eternity unless they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. The people that we know and love who do not know Jesus will perish for eternity or lost for eternity unless they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. When we believe this reality, it changes the way that we think, changes the way that we pray, changes the way that we spend our time and our money. Because we understand that there are only two categories of people, the saved and the unsaved. Friends, there are only two categories of people in your coworkers, in your neighbors, in your friends, in your classmates, in your family those that are saved, and those who are unsaved. And friends, relationships is the vehicle that God uses to deliver the gospel. Your relationships with your coworkers and neighbors and friends and family, your relationships with them is the vehicle that God wants to use to carry and deliver the gospel to the lost. Kevin Kaiser, one of our elders, sent me interesting results that he got from a question that he asked some artificial intelligence, right? And it seems the AI understands how to share the gospel pretty well because it says this. Here are the results. It says, first, start with relationships. People are more receptive to hearing about your faith if they already know and trust you. Because, uh, or excuse me, building a relationship with somebody before sharing the gospel with them makes a big difference. So start with relationships. We see that here in Scripture, right? Secondly, it says, listen and understand. Before sharing the gospel, take time to listen and understand the other person's perspective. Ask questions. Seek to understand their beliefs and their concerns. That should help us as we build relationships with them, right? And then third, it says to use simple language. Avoid using overly religious language or jargon that may confuse or intimidate the person that you are speaking with. Speak in clear simple terms that they can easily understand. And then fourth, it says to share your story. Share how the gospel has impacted your life personally. Share from your own experiences and your own struggles and how your faith has helped you through that. And then fifth, it says be respectful and patient. Remember that not everyone will be receptive to the gospel. So be respectful of their beliefs and patience with their patient with their questions and their objections. And then fourth, it says offer other resources. After sharing the gospel, offer other resources such as books and websites, local church for that person to learn more about faith. And then it says ultimately, the best way to share the gospel is to live a life that reflects the teaching of Jesus. 
and to be loving and compassionate examples for others to follow. That's pretty interesting, right? That's pretty straightforward. The AI has it figured out, right? But what do we learn here from Jesus? We see the same thing. It starts with relationships. Jesus ate. He spent time with people who were lost, the sinners and the tax collectors. He listened and he understood and he cared about them. He used simple language. He told stories that they could relate to for them to understand deep spiritual conversations. And and then we can share our story with other people. Share our story. And when we share our story, keep it simple. Something like this. You know, there was a time in my life when I was very self-centered and I thought that everything was about me. And then I learned that Jesus died for me, the most selfless act that anyone could ever do. And he called me to repent of my sins and my self-centeredness and to meet him in baptism. And now I live to follow his example and to selflessly serve others. Do you have a story like that? Use simple words to share your story. Share what your life was like before you came to Jesus. You know, there was a time in my life when I was very self-centered. Share what truth about Jesus really resonated with you. For me, it's the fact that that he died for me. He, He did the most selfless act ever, dying on the cross for me who didn't deserve it. And then share what your life is like after coming to Christ. Share your story in simple terms, your life before, how you came to Jesus, and what your life is like now. Friends, we want to help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. That's the whole reason that we even exist as a church. In November of 2019, a group of us partnered with God to start Journey Church, and we did that because we wanted to see through our relationships with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members how God could build his kingdom and how God could share the gospel with the lost. Today, we're going to see the eighth and ninth person who were lost become found. We know that God was going to do something new in and through us as Journey Church. And so we partnered with him to start something new. And we believe that Jesus was starting something new and that we are continuing to start something new, even today. Look at at Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. Jesus says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth into an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skin will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Friends, God was starting something new in and through Jesus as he started his kingdom. And we believe that God was starting something new as he started Journey Church as well. Something new and different from all the other things that God was doing already through all the other churches here in Washington and in Beaufort County. And friends, if you are a part of Journey Church, it's our responsibility, all of us, our responsibility to help carry out the mission that God has given us. That all of us go out and build authentic relationships with the lost to communicate the gospel with them. It's all of our jobs to help our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors and our family and our classmates to help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. And it starts by us starting and building authentic relationships with them. 
It starts with us eating with them and spending time with them and listening to them and caring for them and building that authentic relationship with them. Relationships are the vehicles that God uses to share the gospel with the lost. And then when God gives us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, use simple language and share your story. And they will know that your story is real because they know that you are real and authentic with them. So friends, let me ask you this morning, who do you need to start praying for this week? Who does God want you to start reaching out to? Is it that neighbor or that coworker or that friend or maybe even that family member? God is not dependent. We need to remember this, that God is not dependent on our perfection to win someone that he is working on. Nor is he dependent on us to uh, disciple someone perfectly. I think that's where we get that wrong. That keeps us sometimes from discipling other people. We think, man, you know what? I've got to have it all right. I've got to have it all figured out. I've got to be perfect in this. It's not dependent on our perfection, okay? We need to not forget that the people that we are discipling are not our disciples. They're Jesus's. They're not your disciple. They're Jesus's disciple. And he will never quit working on them. You can't do God's part and you can't do their part. All you can do is your part. And to be faithful with your part. Friends, one of our goals here as Journey Church is for each one to reach one. And what we mean by that is that we want each one of us to be intentional about reaching at least one other person at a time, that we are building an authentic relationship with them, that we are spending time with somebody who is lost and we are connecting with them and we're listening to them and we're caring for them. We are loving them authentically. And then as God opens up the doors, we share the good news of Jesus with them, that each one of us would reach one, one person at a time. Friends, Jesus started something new. It showed through the people that he invited to follow him. They weren't the elite religious leaders. They were the guys who didn't even get picked for the team. They were the sinners and the tax collectors like you and me. And friends, he's calling you to come and follow him today. Will you, like Matthew, leave everything and follow him? And if you already have, Jesus has also given us a new job to carry our friends to him, to do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus. So let's start praying for our lost friends today. Let's continue to build authentic relationships with them. Let's listen to them. Let's care for them. Let's share our story with them in simple terms. Let's go and let's help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. We pray with me today. Father, thank you. Thank you for starting something new in Journey Church, and thank you for starting something new with your kingdom. Father, your son came to call that which was lost to him, to seek and to save us, broken sinners. Father, you call us not because of what we can offer you, but what you can do through us for your honor, your glory, your praise. Father, for those who are here this morning who have never 
accepted your invitation? Would you call them today? Would you lead them today to leave everything and repent and be joined with you in baptism today? We praise you that Chris and Rose are making that decision today to to give their lives to you and to be baptized. And Father, we celebrate with them. If there's anyone else, Father, would you lead them to you today? And for those of us who already have, would you ignite in us a heart, a passion for the responsibility that you have given us, for the ministry, the message, the job that you have given us to implore our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends and our family and the people around us to implore them to be reconciled to you through your son Jesus as we have been. Father, help us to do whatever it takes to carry our friends to you. Father, help us, give us the courage and the words to to communicate the good news of your son, Jesus, to those that are lost around us. We are honored that you would pick us for your team. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve your forgiveness, and we, we definitely don't deserve for you to use us as your witnesses. But, Father, we, we are honored in this responsibility. So, Father, help us to take it serious. Help us to see the opportunities that you place before us to share with our friends and family who your son Jesus is. And we thank you that his story didn't end with, with him dead in the grave, but, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you raised him to life again and he conquered sin and death once for all. Father, we thank you that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for me, for us, so that we might become your righteousness. Father, we thank you for this constant reminder of communion that you give us. Because we are so forgetful, we thank you that you You remind us constantly of the price that has been paid by your son, Jesus. Help us to remember that it's all about him. Father, we ask all of this in his name.